In this podcast episode, we want to introduce you to our BCEN friend, Kristen Gilmore. Come along as Michael Dexter and Holly Briggs talk with Kristen about her journey in emergency nursing leading up to her newest venture into nurse well-being. It's sure to be an encouraging conversation to our valued listeners. This episode is called Blazing a Trail for Nurse Well-Being. Hello, and welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast, where we hold interesting conversations about learning with a range of thought leaders, BCN certification holders, and industry professionals. But most importantly, to create value and insight for you, our professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. We hope you find our discussions interesting, informative, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but always valuable. I'm Holly Briggs, a professional development specialist at BCEN and one of your hosts for today. I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Dexter, Director of Professional Development at BCEN. Hi, Michael. Hey, Holly. I'm excited to have another great episode today. Me too. In this episode of BCN and Friends, we have Kristen Gilmore, an experienced emergency nurse from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Her leadership and passion have brought her to a new role involving nurse well-being. Michael, could you please introduce us to our BCN and friend, Kristen? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Kristen obtained her Bachelor of Science in Nursing in 2004, and in 2014, she graduated with her master's degree in nursing. Uh, Kristen's career has included work as an ED nurse, a clinical nurse manager, nursing supervisor, nurse manager, and clinical operations coordinator. And throughout her career, Kristen has been the recipient of multiple clinical and leadership awards and has served as a mentor to many others. Her passion for education and mentorship led her to also teach nursing school. Kristen is now the inaugural program manager for nurse well-being at Jefferson Northeast in Pennsylvania. The newly established Institute for Nurse Wellbeing is a dedicated to transforming culture to ensure a positive nurse practice work environment. Outside of her day-to-day work, Kristen is also the current president of the Philadelphia chapter of the Pennsylvania Emergency Nurses Association. So Kristen, welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast. It is a pleasure to have you with us today. Hi, Holly and Michael. Thank you so much for inviting me to do this. I'm really looking forward to this opportunity. Well, you're welcome. It's great to have you. And I uh, definitely skipped over some stuff about you because I wanted you to tell us and tell the listeners a little bit more about your nursing career, your nurse journey, uh, because you've done quite a bit as a nurse. I have. I have. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, you know, I went to um, undergrad nursing school um, at Holy Family University where I graduated in 2004. Um, And during that time, right before graduation, I was um, able to be an ED tech in the emergency department at Albert Einstein Medical Center in Philadelphia. So during that time, guys, in 2004, there was uh, a nursing shortage very similar to what we're experiencing now. And I was very fortunate that I was approached by my clinical nurse manager who said, hey, do you want to work here when you graduate? And I said, yes. And he essentially said, go upstairs, fill out this form, and you're and you're hired. And that was it for me. Um, and I've never um, looked back. So I started at uh, Albert Einstein, the emergency department in 2004. Um, and I was fortunate enough 
very early on in my career um, to be able to gain uh, leadership experience. I was a charge nurse there, followed by a clinical manager there. Um, it was also during that time where I was really interested in education. So it was like a period of my career where I was enjoying leadership, but I wanted to really test the waters of education. Um, so I was able to still work at Einstein at the bedside um, shortly thereafter that. And I um, also spent some time teaching both clinical and classroom um, at what was Episcopal School of Nursing, a diploma program here in Philadelphia um, that unfortunately has since closed. Um, it was such an amazing and rewarding experience that I definitely treasure and hold in my heart. Uh, after that school closed, I was able to continue to work at, as, at Einstein as a clinical nurse. Um, and then I also began working at what is now Jefferson Bucks County campus and Frankfurt campuses as a nursing supervisor. I was very fortunate to work in the emergency department uh, at the Bucks campus as well. From there, I continued on my nursing leadership journey and I moved into being the nurse manager for the emergency department at Nazareth Hospital, which is also in Philadelphia. During my time at Nazareth, I was able to collaborate with uh, a vast scope of practitioners and individuals. And it was during that time that I was able to become part of a team that allowed our hospital to become PCI certified. It was such a rewarding time. During my time at Nazareth, I also started to miss working in that academic environment that I was used to in my past that treated high acuity and trauma populations. So on from Nazareth, I moved to Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Center City, um, where I was the clinical operations coordinator. Uh, and I spent the next four years working night shift with just an amazing group of healthcare professionals. I left Jefferson for only about a year to be a nursing supervisor back to my roots, back at Einstein, uh, before I returned uh, back to the ED at Jefferson as the administrative supervisor on the night shift. During my time as the administrative supervisor, I was fortunate enough to become involved in what is called the RISE team, resiliency and stressful events, and to receive training in emotional first aid. It was after that training that I really started to become interested in how we as a nursing profession could enhance our overall well-being and support um, our nursing peers. In September, I was able to align that desire to support my nursing peers um, and overall wellness of the nursing team uh, by becoming the inaugural program manager for nurse well-being here at Jefferson Northeast. And like you said, Michael, I am the current president for the Philadelphia chapter of the Emergency Nurses Association. So um, my career has been very robust and I have been absolutely blessed to have such a wonderful um, very level of opportunity. Man, that is quite a journey you just took us on. And <laughs> I just, I love that you, you kind of, you know, yes, you went here and did this and gained knowledge and experience here, there, but it's kind of like it all culminated to what's led you to the role you're in now as this inaugural program manager for nurse wellbeing. And saying that I really, I mean, so what does that, what does that really mean? Like, can you give us some insight into this new role? And really, can you just kind of tell us how emergency nursing can contribute to a role like this? Oh, absolutely. So the inaugural program manager for nurse well-being is a part of the Institute for Nurse Wellbeing here at Jefferson Health Northeast campuses. Um, our CNO, Michelle Connolly, who I report directly to, uh, recognized early on the need for services to su really support our nursing team's mental, emotional, and physical well-being. Um, we were fortunate enough that Jefferson Northeast was awarded a $7 million uh, grant 
that resulted in this position. So there was folks that really truly believed, you know, also outside of Michelle, that this was something that the nursing team here at JNE really deserved um, and had a need for. Um, having a strong clinical background in emergency nursing and leadership definitely contributes to this role as the program manager for nurse well-being. You know, as an ER nurse, guys, we're taught to triage. We're taught that, you know, ability to be able to prioritize both patients and, you know, our, our items that we need to do on our to-do list. We're super flexible in our roles because we have to be um, in order to be an ER nurse. You know, we're definitely as, uh, experts in de-escalation techniques, just, you know, based upon the kind of patient populations that we treat. You know, as ER nurses, we see folks on their on their worst day. Um, so de-escalation is definitely something that is part of our toolkit. You know, we learn as ER nurses what it means to truly listen to a patient's story. And we have this mighty sense of resilience and we understand what true empathy means in our role as ER nurses. Uh, we also had to tend to have this kind of knack for sensing that, you know, individuals have a need um, without maybe necessarily those folks speaking that they have that need. Uh, just that sixth sense that we have. You know, in my role as the program manager, I've been able to prioritize my plans for the program and the nursing staff to support their needs. You know, I travel back and forth to three hospitals um, and sometimes to other sites. So I'm able to be flexible in the areas that I serve. You know, one of the things that I say, you know, to all of our nursing groups is, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm at a different campus. I'm always willing to move to a different campus or, or, or FaceTime or do Zoom, you know, whatever our staff needs here at JNE, I'm willing to shift to support those needs. Um, and I think that that definitely goes back to your ER roots of being flexible. Um, you know, I'm able to speak with nursing staff after experiencing violence in the patient care areas. I'm able to follow up on their well-being after those interactions, because unfortunately we know as, as ED nurses that we do tend to face those kind of cases. And, you know, I want to make it comfortable for folks to have those conversations about what just happened, and also to bring a sense that it is not normal for those things to happen in the workplace. But active listening and authentic presence really has been um, a cornerstone in my current role, um, and I would not have had such a strong skill set um, in what I do had I not practiced as an ER nurse for almost two decades. So, Kristen, you know, you talk about changing really the culture of these three different facilities that you're working at. And, and I know you mentioned active listening and, and your work as an ED nurse. And there's so many times uh, in the ED when we kind of get in the grind of the day-to-day, -day, but then there's other times when patients come in and you mentioned like the, the violent ones, but there's also times when patients come in, maybe they're being worked up for a pulmonary embolism and they code right in front of us or an unexpected pediatric death or something. So there's there's other components to that. And, and I've seen in the past where we do try to implement things like debriefings or nurse wellness, and there seems to be a hesitancy, not only by nursing staff, but sometimes the physician buy-in is tough and sometimes administrative buy-in is tough. So in your role, how have you seen some of these challenges uh, or other challenges I haven't mentioned? Um, and what have you done to face some of these challenges of cultural norms that really need to be broken? Yeah, Michael, you're absolutely right. There is definitely that disconnect of recognizing the importance of, of actions like debriefing after um, significant emotional uh, events. You know, um, my role as a program manager of nurse well-being is still very much so in its infancy stages. I've only been here at j &E in this role for about 14 weeks now. Um, but I see, you know, as, an, as a nursing staff, I recognize how challenging 
Um, it can be to reach out for help. Like, you know, I talked about earlier is, you know, I feel like there's kind of a stigma around astigmatism around having that kind of conversation um, where folks are admitting, you know, I feel vulnerable or I just, you know, I'm having some challenges dealing with the emotional piece of what I just witnessed or what I took part in. So I think that the biggest challenge of this kind of program is people reaching out for help, is, is you know, individuals taking that platform to say, you know what, I need to reach out and speak with someone um, just about what I experienced. So I think that that has been um, kind of developed in our culture of nursing, that we've kind of embraced that whole, like, you need to suck it up and move on and, you know, go to the next room and see your next patient. And, you know, we never really spoke about understanding our feelings um, and what to do with them after we just witnessed, like you said, maybe that person that coded in front of us or a pediatric um, code, you know, and I'm hoping that, you know, we can change that learned behavior and start to shift the focus onto self-care. Um, I want nursing teams, you know, here at j &E to know that it is normal to have strong emotional responses to events that we are involved in daily at work. Um, and in addition, it's not only is it normal to have those responses, but it's absolutely okay to speak about it. So I think, Michael, you identified like one of our hurdles is, you know, just getting folks to do that buy-in. And I think it is just kind of slowly being authentically reaching out to folks and saying, hey, I'm here. I know what you're going through. You know, I was at the bedside up until 16 or 14, yeah, 16, 14 weeks ago. Um, and, you know, just saying, it's okay to talk about it. I'm a safe space. It's confidential. Um, and really, you know, helping folks realize that sitting with these kind of things just tend to build up over time and, you know, can really be harmful to their well-being. So, you know, slowly but surely, just, you know, going out there, creating relationships, being present, um, and just letting folks know that what we're really here for is to support them. You know, I tell the nursing staff when I go out and I'm rounding on the units, you know, I don't have a department anymore. I don't have direct reports anymore. I work for all of them. So the thousands of nurses, you know, that are employed here at Jefferson Northeast, I work for them. Yeah. So if you have somebody, I mean, I, I think it would be great if if I worked with <laughs> with a uh, program manager for nurse well-being. But let's just say the vast majority, I would assume, that are listening do not have this resource. You had mentioned some things about speaking up and 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 being involved and in, and. In, that it's okay to say that you're not okay. Uh, do you have any other tips that you'd want to share with those listening that maybe don't have this program at their facility, or maybe they're trying to start a program and you just have some tips for nurses on how to help that program move forward or how to help their self-care move forward? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as a nurse leader, um, I kind of felt like I was, for lack of better words, the mom, you know, of, of, of my folks at my last ER. And I, you know, absolutely adored them. And I recognized that they were struggling. Um, and that is how I ended up becoming involved when I, uh, in the RISE program that I spoke about earlier, um, because I felt like we needed almost our own employee assistance program in the ER, just because of the nature of what we were seeing and what we were experiencing. And also at that time in that emergency department, we were also experiencing increased volumes. We were starting to see uh, an increase in our penetrating trauma. We were starting to see um, incidents that you would consider mass casualties. So just a lot of changes. And that's how I started recognizing like, hey, you know, we need to do something to support each other. And I as a leader need to do something to support my team. Um, so for folks that don't have this program, I think really there's so much literature out there. There is such great support systems through the American Nurses Association um, for framework. 
um, for this type of program. Healthy Nurse, Healthy Nation is another piece of the American Nurse Association's um, platform that really can give you different areas in life that you can focus on related to stress management, um, related to just overall well-being. Um, so it really does give you a little bit of a start of exactly, you know, what is nurse wellness? Because, you know, Michael, nurse wellness can be defined very differently by everyone. You know, what I consider to be wellness might not be what you consider. So I think really identifying what a unit needs um, and then trying to implement just small changes, whether it is debriefing after every um, shift in the emergency department by having like in the form of a huddle, looking to see if your employer has uh, an employee assistance program that is external to what goes on in your department, but is something that maybe they have as an organization is always great as well. Looking at your chaplaincy program, those are, that is another source of support for our nursing staff. The, the folks in many of the chaplaincy programs um, do kind of go through emotional support training. So looking into um, those possibilities would probably be very helpful um, to folks who maybe don't have a program manager um, for nurse well-being quite yet. Um, and I'm very hopeful that, you know, out of this program, Janie will and I will start to make a kind of a platform for what nurse wellness and nurse wellness programs should look like moving forward for our, our peers and other organizations. Well, Kristen, it sounds like you're kind of, you're starting down a, a path that maybe is not, you know, completely like defined yet. But I think by you like blazing this trail and really setting things up, you know, trying some things out, I, I think what you're doing is you're creating what will be a roadmap that other people will be able to kind of follow after. And, you know, yes, it'll be their own take to meet the needs of their organization and of their staff. But, you know, you're kind of de helping to develop that framework of what your role would look like, you know? Um, so I think that's awesome. Thank that, you so much, Holly. I think that's awesome that an ER nurse is doing something so, so different, but yet at the same time, so, so needed, um, especially in our profession. So I know you talked about the challenges of mm -hmm. your new program and some tips um, about maybe where we could get started or at least be thinking about it. In the last 14 weeks, can you tell us, I mean, obviously, you know, not breaking confidentiality, but has there been a success or successes that have really just kind of pushed you and, and made you feel like, yes, I'm, I'm in the right place? Oh, absolutely. You know, there's a lot of small wins. You know, my greatest success, I would say at this time is the one-on-one -on -one sessions that I've been fortunate um, enough in being able to be involved with the nursing staff. Um, I feel that that experience has really led to some great conversations um, with individuals, normalizing support and normalizing, uh, you know, supporting our emotional and mental well-being. You know, I've been able to work with security and a vendor and we were able to identify, we use Strongline devices here at Jefferson Northeast. And that's a device that we use um, as a safety measure um, for folks that aren't familiar with it. It's just a button that we can push when we require additional support from our peers and security. Um, and we identified that our emergency medicine providers did not have Strongline. And we also identified that our cath lab peers did not have the Strongline. Um, badges. So we were able to work um, over the past few weeks to get the education rolled out to those folks so that they could get the badges. So just quite a number of individuals that will now have that um, opportunity to have that badge so that if they need to 
you know, push the button because they need some assistance um, that will be available to them. So it's a big safety tool. And we're very proud of that here at j and &E. We are currently working on what we're calling loosely the respite room um, at our Frankfurt campus. So part of the grant that I spoke about earlier that funds my position, um, $1 million of that is also um, for capital um, items. So as part of that, we are using some of that capital uh, fund to build the respite room at the Frankfurt campus. And our goal is to build one of these rooms at each of the campuses because they are so much, um, you know, very well needed. It's going to be a space of quiet, a space of peace, and it'll be for the staff to use um, at their discretion. So, you know, before they come in for their shift, after their shift, during their shift, we have really tried to involve the staff in the development of that room because I really think that that's very important. You know, the staff, it should be a place where, you know, they're able to go for a few moments to kind of relax and re-energize. So they have been really instrumental in helping develop the space. They've been included in the phases of planning, and we actually have a meeting on Monday to kind of start looking at what exactly are the items that are going to be in the room and the structure of the room and such. So that's been really wonderful to be involved in. I've been able to develop and implement a process for follow-up with the nursing staff that have been involved in what we call Code Orange here at Jefferson Northeast. Um, and that code is utilized when a patient or visitor requires de-escalation. So I've also been very uh, fortunate, speaking of de-escalation, I've been very fortunate um, to have been involved in a few de-escalation uh, classes recently for the ED staff um, during the month of December, where we were able to provide some education related to the importance of de-escalation in our practice um, as emergency nurses. Um, and then during this past week, I was able to connect with a pet therapy group in the area. So we're looking to do pet therapy here at Jefferson Northeast. I think that there is such a wonderful, um, there's just such wonderful feedback in the literature that looks at, you know, the data they stress of nurses and how it is improved, you know, during pet therapy rounds. Um, so I've been um, able to speak with two women over the past week that are very willing to do all three of our campuses. Um, so hopefully soon we will have pet therapy at each campus at least once a month to help support our nursing teams. So, you know, like I said, little wins and, you know, as the weeks go on, things change and I'm able to to reach out to more folks and connect with more people. And really the sky is the limit, Holly and Michael, for this, this um, program. Um, and I'm really excited to look at what other successes we have in our future. Well, it sounds like you have done quite a bit in the in the time that you've been in that role. So thank you for sharing all of that. And yeah. it sounds like you have a lot to be proud of. Um, and I, I, I wanted to kind of turn the conversation just a little bit, and maybe it's all still related. I don't know. But you know, you've done a, a lot of clinical care, you've had managerial education roles, you have your current role that you're in, but throughout your nursing career in general, is there a specific person or moment that's really impacted you and um, made you either change your practice or maybe just view things in a different way? Uh, yeah, you know, I think when I think about, you know, a person or a moment in my career that has impacted me, I think as ER nurses, we all have like those handful of patients that we've cared for um, that really remain with us in our practice. Um, so I can share a story with you um, from my early years of practice. And I was an ER nurse. You know, I was working three to 11 in a level one trauma center. From three to seven, I was assigned as the trauma nurse. And then from seven to 11, I was assigned as the charge nurse. Um, and during that three to seven shift, a 12 year old girl was placed. Uh, in the hallway nearest the trauma bay for me to care for her. And upon further assessment, she was very tachycardic, 
kind of lethargic. So brought her into a, a private area to get her undressed in EKG. Um, she continued to kind of decline. And unfortunately, moments later, went into cardiac arrest right there in front of me at 12 years old. Her grandmother was the one who had, you know, been with her during her stay uh, with us. Um, and her grandmother was, you know, witness to the whole process of just from the moment she walked through the door until this happened, you know. Unfortunately, we coded her for over an hour and she unfortunately did not survive. This was a very impactful case for me for two reasons. It was during this incident that I really embraced engaging in families during these types of losses and participating in, in you know, the development of like a memory box and, and things like that. Um, it really made me realize as a nurse, the impact that we can have on families during those grieving processes um, and how we can support them during that very small window of time that we have with them. Uh, it also affected me because I received a card from that patient's mother weeks later thanking me for the care that I provided for her child. So it was definitely something that has remained with me. And it is something that really makes me reflect on the emotional part of our job and the ability to have conversations about, again, what we see and what we do, um, but also the power that you as a nurse can have on outcomes of people and their families, even when there's a bad outcome. So yeah, that, that young lady will probably stay with me for my entire career. Thank you for sharing that with us. That's, I've heard um, somebody speak before about a similar situation. It was a child of theirs that passed away and, and she was talking about just changing the situation in the trauma resuscitation room from a standard code to a way to celebrate the last moments of that individual's life and ways to really support the family and turn it into something good. And it's hard to think of in the moment, but impacts people for, for many, many years and obviously impacts you as well. So thank you for sharing that story. Yeah, Kristen. I mean, while you were talking about that, I was sitting here filtering through some of the memories that I have being at the bedside and whether is it, was it, you know, a successful outcome um, or whether it was unsuccessful, that person, if there was family there, you know, really the shift in the focus needed to move to them and really like to meet their needs in that moment when it was all said and done to recognize that there were still going to be on my end, that there were going to be feelings and, and, and thoughts and, and a response to what had happened that I also needed to deal with and appreciate your willingness to not only speak about that, but then to give people that space to talk about their experiences and and the things that they've been a witness to and, and kind of start that process for them. So that way, again, it's to create that ability for them to cope in a healthy way so that they can continue to be a nurse, you know, to, to do this profession that we get to do. And I think that, you know, we can't do that if we neglect our well-being if we just say like well that's not important we have to we have to put that as a priority as well yeah holly you're absolutely right it does need to be a priority because we need to we need to continue to have a nursing workforce we need to continue to you know have a strong profession and that really is the only way to continue to do that is to recognize our needs um because you know if we're not if if, if our cup is is not full we most certainly can't pour it into others i like to say mm -hmm. so we really need to be sure to take care of ourselves yeah, my mom would always say you can't pour from an empty cup. So she's right. <laughs> yeah, m most mamas are right. You know what I mean? Um, yes, I do. 
Well, I am going to shift our conversation just a little bit more um, with a few rapid fire questions. Okay. Here we go. So what would you be doing if you were not in your current role? So what would you do? So I think if I wasn't in this role, I think that I would want to be like a clinical therapist. I think I would still be trying to support others, but maybe just in a different way. I love it. I love it. I think you'd be good at that. I mean, really, I feel like people who learn like the, the skill of listening to hear what's really being said. I think that that is who that's a, that's a skill for a lifetime. So I think you'd be great at it. Um, here we go. Current recommendations for a binge worthy show or series. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I really like on Netflix, how to get away with murder. It's a little old, um, but it's, it's a really great series and, and, um, keeps you on your toes. You know, most, myself and the listeners out there are always looking for a binge worthy show or series because we're always finishing, you know, like, I feel like I always finish whatever show I get into and then either a, they don't make another, yes, of it. they don't make another season or like, it's going to be, you know, 10,000 years before they come out with the other one. So then I'm like, what am, what am I going to do? So thank You're you. For that. Right. <laughs> um, okay. This one's a good one. I think it's kind of right up your alley. So self-care or stress relief go-to, like what, what helps you? Okay. So a few things. So I love dogs, big dogs. I love big dogs. So I really have found it to be helpful for my emotional, mental well-being. I volunteer at one of the animal shelters in Philadelphia. Um, and I don't get there as much as I used to when I work 312, still adjusting to the five day a week work week. But I find it really comforting to be with those animals who are in need. Um, just walking them and, you know, having fun with them, letting them enjoy the the out- outdoors for a while um, is really wonderful for me. I also really enjoy, and this is going to be a weird one, y'all. But um, I really find cleaning my house, (laughs) it benefits my well-being. Um, I don't know if it's just like that whole piece of just like cleaning and putting things away and creating, you know, an environment kind of calm, but I love my new mop system. I know that sounds so nerdy, but it really has been helpful. So, you know, hanging out with pipples and cleaning my house are really the ways that (laughs) um, (laughs) I focus on my wellness. That is awesome, Chris. Yeah. You know what? Everybody has their own things. So whatever works for you works for you. And I I try to make sure that folks remember that, you know, that what works for one doesn't work for all. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, One of my best friends, Sarah, she actually volunteers um, at the animal shelter in New Orleans. And I just, I know how much joy it brings to her. Um, I mean, I know how much joy it brings the animals. Like I'm, I'm like, they are so much better for having you there. And then another friend of mine, uh, she is all about like cleaning and organizing and like that helps her de-stress. And I like, I really, I need to like foster that relationship more. Um, (laughs) we need to grow to be best friends because I need some of that to like rub off on me. Um, so then when I get stressed out, I'll just clean as opposed to like what I want to do, which is, you know, make popcorn and like watch a new Netflix series. So, um, so to each their own, but I would kind of, I would benefit from some of your (laughs) self-strategies. So, well, another rapid fire question, what is your comfort, um, food or meal that you really enjoy? Always pizza. We are a Friday night pizza family. So, um, I love pizza. 
Oh my goodness. Is there like a particular, like what, what, what are you going to order? Like if I'm putting in your order, what are you going to order? Well, I'm I'm not going to name names on the podcast, but there's a fantastic place in Philadelphia that does this cheesesteak pizza. And I'm not like a huge, like cheesesteak kind of girl, but my son brought it home once and I was absolutely in love with it. So, um, and it's nowhere near my home. So every once in a while it comes in as a treat, but that would be my go-to pizza would be the cheesesteak pizza. I have never had that, but next time I'm in Philly, I will have to look that up. So, yeah, next conference. Oh, I'll I'll look for it. Um, we'll split a slice. Do there you, you go. Have, do you have any other hobbies or interests that you could share with us? Hobbies or interests? Well, I do try to read as much as I can. Although, again, you know, still trying to work on my work life balance with the five day a week work week. But I do enjoy um, reading restaurants with my family. Um, we do that a lot. Maybe at least once a week, we try to go out um, to eat together as a family. Um, so those are two things that I really enjoy as well. It sounds like you keep a very full work life and also balancing that out, which I know we're all, we're all working on that. So we're all works in progress, but everyone is. Yep. <laughs> um, if our audience would like to follow you online, what social media platforms could they look you up on? So they can look me up on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram name is Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N, the letter C, and then 1209. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for sharing everything with us today. And, you know, when we got to the question about a comfort food and being where you're from, I was wondering if the cheesesteak <laughs> would get brought in and you threw out pizza and it threw me off, but then you you pulled it back in for the win with the cheesesteak. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's a little take of the cheesesteak, I guess. <laughs> but thank you so much for uh, for sharing everything you did with us, not only some of those personal fun things, but all that you're doing for nurse well-being and the impact that you're having there in your area and, and hopefully something that you can um, build that can be replicated uh, across the nation. It would just be super cool to see that happen. So thank you for all that you're doing, and we appreciate getting the chance to meet you and talk with you today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Michael. I want to take this time to thank Kristen for joining us for this episode of BCN and Friends. Thank you so much, Kristen, for sharing your time, your professional journey, and your insight into nurse well-being with us. And to all of our listeners, we hope you will stay tuned as we continue with BCN and Friends and bring you new and meaningful content and perspectives. If you have a suggestion for an episode, please email us at bcn at bcn.org. I'm Holly Briggs here with Michael Dexter. And on behalf of our entire BCN team, we thank and celebrate you for all that you're doing as professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. Until next time, we are out.